First Kings chapter 17, if I could read beginning at verse number 1, please. I'm going to read the first 16 verses of 1 Kings 17. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. It came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which is belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. <clears throat> and as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. What a powerful passage of Scripture. Amazing. We're going to talk this morning here about this particular subject, living by faith. Let's pray together. Lord, I come before you here today. I ask for your guidance upon these few moments. I really cannot accomplish what you asked me to do, but by the fact that you would help me. I am acknowledging here today as I pray that I am impotent. I really am weak, but I serve a God who is omnipotent, who is all-powerful, and can help us do that which we cannot do. And so, Lord, as I share these words and they fall on the ears of people, I pray that you would take them as seeds, as it were, and plant them in the hearts of these people that are sitting here today. Touch them, use them, 
And I pray, Lord, that whatever decisions must be made today, may there be an accounting of each life before Thee. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Almost 24 years ago, actually it was July of 1999 to be exact, John F. Kennedy Jr. flew his small airplane from New York City to his family home in Massachusetts for a wedding, or had plans to do that. On board were his wife Carolyn and her sister. Now, Kennedy was a licensed pilot, but he had not yet been approved for instrument, instrument flight, which is basically using the instruments to navigate. When their takeoff was delayed until after dark, Kennedy probably should have waited for daylight or sought a more experienced pilot to help. Yet Kennedy went ahead, went off into the darkness, and the plane never reached its destination, and all three passengers were killed in the crash. Investigators determined that the crash was likely caused by disorientation from flying over open water at night without any landmarks or a visible horizon. Kennedy's lack of experience may well have led him to trust what he thought he was seeing more than what the instrument panel would have been telling him. You know, all of us here today that are believers in Jesus Christ face the temptation to walk according to sight instead of by faith. Faith in God will keep us from crashing, if you will. Human reason causes us to fall at every time. But I want you to know here today that God never fails. His Word, the Bible, keeps us right on course as long as we follow it and obey it. And truthfully, what I share with you here right in the beginning gives us a great understanding of why this passage of Scripture that I read to you is so very important. If you read back in 1 Kings chapter 16, the previous chapters before what we read, and we look through Israel and the various kingly administrations in Israel, we go back to a man by the name of Jeroboam. He became king over uh, uh, the, the, the land in Israel, the northern tribes, and basically ruled and decided that he was going to set up his own place of worship and was going to bring in certain idols and they were going to worship not only the true God but other gods. And as you read the various kingly administrations that follow, here's what you find it seems that Israel, these northern tribes, are going further and further and further into a descent away from God and into their own doings of religion. And that's what makes someone like Elijah so very important. Elijah comes on the scene, no hoopla about his coming, no mention about his birth really, but all of a sudden, in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, here's Elijah as an adult man, a prophet before the Lord, standing before that king and letting him know that there will be no rain on the land, and rain will only come when he prays before God and asks for it to come. Now, how amazing it is that this man stands before Ahab the king, 
Ahab is a wicked, ruthless king. In fact, as you watch the kings and see the digression here of that wickedness, Ahab is the man that the Bible says that up to that point became the most wicked and vile king and was against God. To top it off, he took a woman by the name of Jezebel and he married her. And as he brought her with him, she brought along with her all of the gods that she worshipped. So there was a multiplication of idolatry. And here's a man by the name of Elijah. A man whose name literally fits the message and the mission that he has. His name literally meant (coughs) Yahweh is God. In contrast to all the other worship of the other gods, is a man who comes on the scene to declare that Yahweh is the only true God. And how amazing he gives this message. I, we read it in verse number 1. He boldly le- declares that a drought will continue until he prays for it to stop. Now you say, preacher, nice little story. I'm glad to read this in 1 Kings, but I don't know how this applies to me. Well, I want to tell you something here. This man, Elijah, t- was taught some lessons that if you haven't learned yet, you're going to learn. And need to learn. It is lessons about faith. Because Elijah's name and his first message really applies to us when we're early on in our Christian life. May I say to you today that if you are a born-again Christian and you have taken a stand for God in some small way, your faith will be tested. How many can testify to that today, that you've stood for the things of God and you found that your faith has been tested? But I want to tell you something, that God allows you to go through those testings because He wants to prepare you for other things He has in your life. You know, we look at a man like Elijah, and we say, wow, (coughs) what a powerful man. Here's a man that was greatly used of God. I mean, you think about Elijah, a man that stood before all these prophets of Baal and basically uh, had basically showed them the true God. Here's a man that uh, called the rain to come down and God answered his prayer. I mean, Elijah did some great things. But what we read in 1 Kings chapter 17 was the early test of his faith. And I do believe this, that if Elijah didn't follow God in these small areas here in 1 Kings 17, we would have never read about Elijah on Mount Carmel. We would have never read about Elijah calling down rain from heaven. Because Elijah had to learn early on in his own personal life how to take God at his word. You know where many of you are today? Many of you are stunted in your Christian growth. Many of you here today have not really gotten very far with God because the first few little tests in your Christian life, you have failed. You've heard God's Word. God has spoken to you through a message. God has touched you through the reading of the Word. 
God has spoken to your heart about some matter that you need to be obedient in, and you have said no to God. You've doubted God. You've not moved forward. And you wonder to yourself, why does the preacher seem to be someone that has connection with God? Why does that person seem to have such a strong relationship with God? And I don't have any of that. It is due to the fact that as you step forward and you commit yourself to living by faith, God will begin to stretch you and help you along the way. And what a powerful lesson it is here about Elijah to see how this story takes shape. And I want to encourage you here today, when it comes to the man Elijah, we think, well, preacher, come on, there's no comparison with Elijah. Elijah was a great man. Listen to this verse in the New Testament. This little commentary about Elijah, the Bible says, Elias, that is Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Now, the word in the King James Bible, like passions, it is one Greek word which carries the idea of a similar temperament or feelings. Do you realize here today, Elijah was a man just like you. Elijah was a human being like you and me. He was subject to fears, subject to doubts and great concerns about what God was doing. But Elijah did this just like you can do it. And that is you can take a step of faith and follow God. So let me encourage you today here. Let's take some time to look at this wonderful story and see how Elijah demonstrated living by faith. The first thing I see in verses 2 to 7 is that Elijah had to, tr- had to believe that God would meet his needs. And that's where you and I have to be. Believe that God will meet your needs. Now, I know the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, it says that uh, we're not to take any thought for the morrow because... Those things are going to take care of itself. God is going to take care of us, and it brings us to a whole new level. But please notice in verse number 2 what God told Elijah to do. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, I want you to go eastward and go to the brook Cherith. So God first asked him to go to this particular brook by the name of Cherith. Now, Cherith was actually what was called this brook. We might refer to it in that part of the world as a wadi, W-A-D-I. In this instance, what this brook was, or this wadi, it was an overflow of the Jordan River when the rainy season was on. But when the rainy season was over, that brook would dry up. And God told Elijah, I want you to go by that brook Cherith, but think with me about what Elijah told Ahab. There's not going to be any rain. So what's going to happen to this brook Cherith after a period of time? It's going to dry up. Well, God then tells him to go there and he says, Elijah, while you're there, I'm going to give you water to drink out of the brook and I'm going to feed you. Now think about this for just a moment. Here's Elijah coming to this place, Cherith, a brook that eventually is going to dry up if there's no rain. But there's something powerful about this name, Cherith. In fact, the word Cherith 
the very root word for this word cherith here, it literally means to cut off. You know what Elijah was do what God was doing Elijah? God was bringing Elijah to his play to a place where God was going to sustain him, but it was going to be God and Elijah and nobody else. You know what you and I need to learn sometimes in our Christian life? It's not that I'm dependent on this person or that person or this institution or that organization. It is the fact that I rely wholeheartedly on God. And my friend, I want to tell you, if you're going to be and live a life of faith, you must realize that it is you and God. And God hid Elijah by the brook Cherith where Elijah had nobody else to depend on. But all he had to depend on was God. But he told them that you're going to be there and the ravens will feed you. Now, do you know anything about ravens? I mean, they're not the cleanest birds, if you will. In fact, if you look at the law in Israel, they were considered the unclean birds. But God says, don't question how I'm going to provide for you, Elijah. But I will provide for you, and I love this. Every morning, every evening, those birds were faithful to provide Elijah's meal. Wow. How amazing it is how God provides for us. And God is going to meet our needs. I have found in my life over and over that as I have trusted God, when it seemed impossible, when I didn't know how we were going to pay bills early on, when I didn't know how what was going to happen next in our life, that if I simply had faith in God and I followed His Word, that God would meet our needs. And guess what? I'm here today. I've eaten plenty. You can look. My, my belt's a little tight here today. I mean, I've, I've eaten plenty. Praise the Lord. It's good. God has met our needs. And if you trust God, oh, it may look scary. It may look to you like you don't know how God's going to provide. You, it might seem a little unusual how God's going to provide this way. But I'm telling you, if you trust God, He will meet your needs. Secondly, I want you to notice, believe that God's will is best. Believe that God's will is best. Now, here's God leading Elijah to the brook here, but now it's time to move on. The brook dries up. Naturally, no rain. This brook's drying up. Elijah had been there a while, and so now God tells him that I'm going to send you off somewhere, but it's going to blow your mind where God is now sending Elijah. We read about, in verse number 8, how God is sending now. And I want you to notice here, in fact, it's very interesting. I want you to get this, verse number 2, and the word of the Lord. Verse number 8, and the word of the Lord came unto him. This is God's word. This is living by faith. It is hearing God. It is obeying God. So now the word of the Lord came to him to go to Cherith. And now that has dried up. And now it's time to move on. So the word of the Lord comes. And he tells him to go to a city by the name of Zarephath. Now we read Zarephath and we go, oh, that's nice. We have no clue where that is. 
We don't know anything about that, but if you were to do a little study about the city of Zarephath, you would find something interesting. First of all, it is located on the Mediterranean coast between two cities that you may have heard before, Tyre and Sidon. But more important to understand about this city is this, that the king's wife by the name of Jezebel was from that particular area of Zarephath. She was right from that area. Now, who was Jezebel? I mentioned earlier, she's a woman who is very idolatrous. She brought in all these idols and caused the people of Israel to worship these idols and to not follow the true God, but to follow these other gods. And so now God's telling Elijah, I want you to go into the pit of wickedness. I want you to go to the place where there is great idol worship? Absolutely. That's where God's sending him. But not only is he sending them to Zarephath, notice here he's sending him, look at this, in verse number 9, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. A widow Do you know anything about widows in the Bible? Widows were of the most poorest of the people in the land. Think about it. They lived in a day where there was no Social Security, no Medicare, no Medicaid. In fact, the picture in the Bible always indicates their severe state of poverty. Luke 11 tells us, of one widow who gave a very small amount there at the temple, and it was so small, but God said, Jesus said, she gave all that she had. Acts chapter 7 tells us that the widows were being neglected. In the days of the early church, the people of the church were to help care for the widows because they had no other safety net to help them. And so here it is, there's this widow. And God's telling Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath, an idolatrous place, and I want you to go to a widow's home, and it is there that she's going to sustain you. A widow woman? That's where it comes in, God's will is best for you. God's going to direct you to do something. God may direct you somewhere. God may direct you in some form or fashion with a particular job or something else, and you may not understand it. And from human standpoint, you may say, this makes no sense. But I'm here to tell you, if God's in it, it makes all the sense in the world. You read God's Word sometimes, and following God's ways doesn't always make sense. You know why? We are so accustomed to following the way of the world. We're so accustomed to what makes positive sense for us. We look at the world and we listen to the world and the world does everything to help themselves out. But God is going to get us out of our comfort zone. And His will truly is best for us. But how powerful it is that God's leading Elijah here to Zarephath. Because the word Zarephath, again, another root word, it has this idea of the process of refining metals. You know what God was doing with Elijah? God was processing, if you will. He was refining Elijah. 
Again, before Elijah could ever get on Mount Carmel, before Elijah could ever call down and do these big miracles, God had to get him to a place where he was refined, where he was brought through the process that he himself personally could trust God. You realize, before you can ever encourage anybody else to trust God, you better start trusting God yourself. And Elijah had to come to a place, wait a minute, Zarephath, a widow woman? Yeah, God's will is best. And God was putting His own word to the test. So if we're going to live by faith, we must believe that God will meet our needs. We must believe that God's will is best for us. But notice number three, we must believe that God will enable us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. Look at verse number 13. Oh, this is powerful. Elijah said unto her, Fear not. He's already asked her to bring some water. She did it. He asked her to bring some bread, and she said, Look, I, I, don't, I don't have a cake for myself. I got one little handful of meal, and I'm going to make a little cake here, and I'm going to gather some sticks so I can build a fire. And basically, this is our last meal. That's what she's telling Elijah. And now, Elijah, look what he says in verse 13. He said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. Now, almost seems a little rude for a prophet to come in and just say, Hey, I know you just said that you're going to die after this meal, but why don't you give that to me first? I mean, doesn't it seem rude? I mean, I read that sometimes and I go, Elijah, you're a little bold here. You're a little bit rude with this woman. But do you know what he was doing through God here? He was putting her to the test. Was she going to trust this man of God? Was she going to trust really what God was saying here? And again, it may not make sense, but she had to do something that she didn't even think she could do in her own strength. She had to trust God. He commands her to get the water, commands her to get the meal. Here we are living in normal times. Elijah asked her something that would just seem so inconsequential. But in a time of famine, Elijah's asking a lot. I mean, Zarephath is in a, a place where oil and flour are in abundance here. But now all this woman has is a handful. But God asked her, and God has been stretching the faith of Elijah and now God is stretching the faith of this widow woman. Oh, how the Bible talks about that when you and I are weak, He is strong. You know, you may be here today and God's asking you to get involved in some ministry in the church. And you say, preacher, I, I, I just can't do that. You're probably right. In your own strength, you cannot do it. But with God's help. He can help you do it. He can help you accomplish it. You may be thinking to yourself today, well, you know, there's certain things that I I need to accomplish, but I I just don't know how to accomplish it. God has encouraged me about tithing, but I, I, boy, I just don't think I can tithe because if I do that, boy, it's going to really shrink what I have. I've heard testimonies over and over of people who have committed to tithing to the Lord, how God has met their needs 
Do you realize God can take your 90% and stretch it further than you can? God sure can. You put God to the test. When you're weak, when you think you can't do it, when you find yourself looking at all the questions and the problems and the inadequacies, God can come through and help you in a way that you can't even imagine. But lastly, I want you to look at verse number 14. And I want you to note this. Not only should we believe that God will meet our needs, that His will is best for us, that He will enable us to do what we cannot do in our own strength, but believe that God's commands become God's promises. Mm. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, verse 14, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went, there's the obedience, did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not. Can you imagine for just a moment? She's thinking to herself, all right, I'll put this prophet to the test. She finds that there's enough for her, her son, and Elijah. But I'll bet in the back of her mind she's saying to herself, this is it. Might as well just sit in the corner because life's over. I don't know where all this is going to come from. But the next morning, Elijah says, uh, and imagine now again the way Elijah comes Breakfast time. Would you make make for us? Come on, Elijah. I told you I had the last last bit of meal, last bit of bread here, and we used it up last night. No, no. Go check the barrel. I can imagine that son going over and lifting that up and going. Now, I don't imagine that that barrel was full. I don't think the Bible gives us this indication of what it was, but I don't believe that that was full, and they said, oh, man, we got for weeks on end to eat. But I think there was just enough in the bottom of the barrel for them to grab for that that meal. And I think when it came time to eat again, Elijah said to the son, go over to the barrel again and open it up. And he opens it up and looks in, and there's just enough for that day. Can I tell you that when God commands you to do something, He will fulfill it. You can take it to the bank. You can trust Him. Yes, other people have failed you. Yes, family members have disappointed you. Yes, there are things in our government that have failed us and organizations and businesses that have not done right by us when they said that they would. But God will never fail. His commands you can turn into promises. Wow. That widow woman found this statement that was made by a missionary years ago. Attempt great things for God. Expect Great things from God. Adoniram Judson was once asked by somebody, how in the world are we going to reach all the heathen? How in the world are all the heathen going to be converted? And here's what Adoniram Judson said. 
The prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. I want to tell you, God commands you to do something. It may not make sense. You may not understand it. But follow God, and as you take that step of faith and another step of faith and another step of faith, you'll turn around and look back and you go, Woo! Look at what God's done. Those commands that He made that I couldn't see. I now look back after days and weeks and months and maybe even years, and I say, Oh God, I can trust you. I can follow your word because you are faithful by everything that you do. What do you need to trust God for today? What is it that you need to live by faith for? Some of you need to live by faith by putting God number one in your life. You've been putting your job as number one. You've been putting other people as number one in your life. But God has kind of taken a second or third or fourth place in your life. And God is telling you, Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. But you haven't put God. Let me tell you something. By faith, put God in His rightful place in your life. And I guarantee that when God has His rightful place in your life, you will find that everything else will take care of itself. Some of you haven't spent time praying. You know you ought to pray. You know the command of God. You know the will of God that we ought to spend time in, the, in, in, in praying to Him and spend time in the Word, but you haven't been doing it. And today I want to encourage you to live by faith and to start placing your trust in Him and start getting into the Word of God and reading it for yourself. Start getting in and spending time and praying and talking to God and giving those requests some of you are about ready to go ahead and, uh, and call it quits on a relationship. Some of you are about ready to go ahead and say no to certain things, and you're about ready to cave in on some areas, and you don't have enough faith in God. I want to tell you something. Trust in God, and He'll take care of you. Trust Him. It may not make sense to you, but trust Him. That's the whole Christian life, is the life of faith. It began by faith. By grace are you saved through faith. It will end in faith. Paul said, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And everything in between this Christian life, it's all by faith. You and I don't see God today. God's promised heaven to us. We don't see it. God has given so many promises sometimes that we can't put our fingers upon. We can't hold on to. And we don't see every bit of it. But I want to say that if you would trust God and have faith in Him, I'm telling you, you'll be looking back and you'll see what God truly has done. Walk by faith. I was reading this past week about a man that probably, in my estimation, is one of the men who most lived by faith in our whole Christian history. That man was George Mueller. Some of you today may have never heard about George Mueller, but he truly was an amazing man. Now, if you knew him before he met Jesus Christ, he was somewhat of a rascal. He was rebellious against God, actually ended up in jail. But after he got converted, 
he felt God's leading to actually start some orphanages in England, and this was in the 1800s. A lot of orphans ran the cities of London. When he started these orphanages, he never shared the needs publicly. Sometimes when we receive things from missionaries, they'll give us a report letter. And they'll say, I need $1,000 for this, or I need, and I'm not against any of that. But George Mueller just made a decision. I'm not going to publicize my needs at all. I'm going to talk to God. And he committed everything to prayer, and he believed that God would provide. In the course of George Mueller's life, it is estimated that he had cared for approximately 10,000 orphans, all of which he provided for every one of them by faith and prayer. God provided for every one of them. At one particular time at one of his orphanages, he had 300 children there. And one morning, all of the children woke up and they came to the table, but there was nothing there to eat. He told the people who worked there to get all the children to sit down at the table and to go ahead and fold their hands and tell them we're going to give thanks today for the meal. Imagine sitting there. Nothing. Workers thinking to themselves, Mueller, you're crazy. We're giving thanks for nothing that we're going to partake of. But would you know it? That as they began to bow their heads, a knock came at the door of that orphanage. It happened to be the baker who was nearby, and he said these words, God has kept me. He said, God has kept me awake all night, and I knew that I had to bake an extra three batches of bread for you. So he brought in the three batches of bread. On another occasion, the milkman was going by, and for some of you that are younger, say the milkman. Yeah, you, there was no Publix to buy milk at. I mean, it, it, some of you know about delivery of milk. Well, this, this was a day that it was being delivered, you know, by the cart. And here's this milkman going by, and he knocks on the door, and he asks George Mueller, do you need any milk because my, the wheel on my cart is broke? By the time I fix it, the milk is going to spoil. Would you know it? It provided for all the kids that were there. Do you know that occurrences like this happen for George Mueller on a regular basis? Because George Mueller had faith that God would provide. He knew that his God owned everything and could touch the hearts of people to meet the needs when things were going well. It's amazing. I read this. I, I just learned this this past week. When the children of the orphanage got to a certain age, when they would go out to work and actually get out on their own, George Mueller had a particular tradition with him. He would put a Bible in their left hand and a penny in the right hand, and he would pray for them and he would tell them these words, if you take care of what's in your left hand, God will take care of what's in your right hand. And I want to encourage you today that if you would take care of God's business, God 
will take care of everything else that seems to have such pressures on you. Decisions that need to be made. Life challenges. Stepping forward, but you take care of God's business. And He'll take care of you. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, I just pray that through the the weakness of trying to share this message, this awesome truth about faith in God, oh Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts here today. I pray that every person here today would have faith in you. There's something you're asking people to do here today. Some are being encouraged to go ahead and join by faith when they step out. Some have been saved but never been baptized. May they make a decision today by faith to say, I'm willing to go ahead and get baptized to follow the Lord in this way. Some have decisions they need to make about other areas in their life. And Lord, I pray that by faith they would trust your word and find that your will is best for them. I pray for those that are without Christ. May they, by faith, receive you here today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. May I just speak to you for just a moment. This is what we often call an invitation. I do not preach for information, really. Though today you may have learned something. You say, boy, that was a great piece of information that I could take hold of here today. I preach for transformation. My desire is that you would take what you hear today, and as God speaks to your heart, you would be obedient to Him and follow Him. What's God touching on your heart today? It's possible you're here today without Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I don't know what it is to put my faith in Christ. Let me tell you, it's as easy as this. God's made it possible for you to be saved if you would acknowledge that you're a sinner, if you would acknowledge the fact that there is no way that you can get to heaven on your own, you can't earn it, you can't buy it, you don't deserve it, but Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, and if you would by faith receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can have eternal life. If you'd like to trust Jesus as your Savior today, I'd like to lead you publicly in a word of prayer. If you'd like to go to heaven, have your sins forgiven, why not right now you privately to yourself in your own heart pray these words as I pray it publicly. And please understand, it's not the magic of the words, it is the fact that you confess with your mouth and you believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is who He says He is. Here's a prayer as I pray it out loud. Would you pray it right now? Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I can't save myself and get to heaven on my own. But I believe that Jesus Christ, God's holy Son, died on the cross to pay my sin debt. And right now, the best I know how, I'm asking Jesus Christ to forgive me of all my sins and become my personal Savior. 